0: Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs. This week, it's me, Mike Hill, and Mike Scandato, the co-founder of Necromaniacs. (laughs) Yeah, man.
1: We're the co-founders. I I am back. All right. Good to be back. Good to be back, everybody. What's up? Hello, fellow Necromaniacs listeners. Hello from beautiful Garrison Beach, Brooklyn. Uh, We are still in the month of April here. Spring is rolling on, weather's getting a bit better, I've got my first COVID shot, <laughs> and uh, I got the second one on the way. How you doing, Mike? Doing good, man. I um,
0: I got my first COVID shot last week, and uh, the fact that you just got your first one doesn't make me feel so bad, because out here in Jersey, uh-huh. I had to wait to like, the, <laughs> the fucking bitter end, man. Everyone else, you know, it seems like... I'm like the guy like when you go on the airplane when you you're, you're going to take a plane somewhere and they seat everyone. Mm-hmm. They seat first class, they go through all the different rows and then they seat the scrubs like who have the the seat by the toilet in the back of the plane. <laughs> that's how I feel about getting my covid vaccination in the state of New Jersey. But first one's down, uh, a couple weeks I got the second one mm. and then that's it's uh, you know, it's then it's on, you know, for me. And uh and-
1: for those for those curious, Mike and I both got the Pfizer, and, and we both pretty much got the same reaction. We got about a day's worth of a sore arm or so, and uh, I, I got definitely some tiredness. I had my shot on a Thursday. On that Friday, I was definitely a bit tired. By the Saturday morning, I was fine. So the, that that that's my that's my COVID first shot you know reaction story.
0: Yeah, pretty much same thing here. I, I, I got my first shot like uh, pretty early on a Thursday morning. I mm-hmm. felt good. Uh, it was up in Newark. I had to go. Uh, so I had like a, maybe a half an hour drive home. I was fine. And then like around four o'clock, I just got really, really tired. And I was like, oh, let me just like mm-hmm. lay down and like rest my eyes for 10, 15 minutes. And like two hours later, I woke up and I was like, oh, geez, you know, that's, you know, about two days of that. And then by the weekend, I was fine.
1: Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, I just oh, I just wanted to give uh, give Rennie a shout out. Uh, Rennie Rosmini from Starkweather, He he gave a a uh, uh, nice little fill in uh, the other week. Uh, you guys talked about that movie Blood. I thought that was a very fun listen uh, for the listeners. Rennie and I go back a really long time. Perhaps before some. Some of you might have even been born, so uh, it's wow. great to hear Rennie's voice, that awesome Philly accent.
0: <laughs> yeah, Rennie's awesome, man. And um,
1: I, I don't really, I, I've just in the last
0: few years got to know him well, and um, mm-hmm. I've been a huge fan of Starkweather though ever ever since the '90s. And uh, yeah,
1: I just you
0: know, we had some mutual friends down in Philly that introduced us, and ever since then we've just been you know kind of buddies, which is cool.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I love his his enthusiasm for the horror genre, and uh, just want to give a little tip of the hat to Rennie. And just a little quick shout-out plug to uh, my brother John Draper and the Break the Apocalypse podcast. Uh, I'm going to be a guest on their podcast next week um, because it's uh, John Draper's 50th birthday. I'm going to be uh, one of many little short guests on the show. as as part of John. Yeah. So that, that should be a lot of fun. (laughs) Looking forward to that.
0: Definitely. uh, Tell John, I said, hi, Uh, it's been a minute since I've seen that guy.
1: I will. We'll do. We'll do. We all have our, our great Brooklyn monster factory history, but uh, just wanted to, to share with the the listeners um, what I've been uh, watching and uh, checking out. Uh, You know, so you know, i had been talking about my my long Breaking Bad kind of redux, which I completely uh, caught up with and you know hunkered down with season five and and bought it on Amazon because it's nowhere to be found unfortunately on any streaming services. I had to like buy the season on Amazon Prime. Um, so what I did with, after uh, that, you know, for Better Call Saul actually, I go back into breaking bad (laughs) and i really devoured breaking bad and then i watched the the awesome uh you know uh el camino movie yeah that was a good one which wow man so cool and then after el camino was over i was just kind of like bummed because that's it like the story is over you know jesse's alive uh you know in alaska but like It just puts that kind of like cap on the whole thing. It's like, oh man, there's no more fun stuff to watch.
0: (laughs) You know, I felt the same way about that too. Just had this kind of like, uh, you know, like finality to it, you know, and I was kind of, kind of made me sad, you know.
1: But there is one more season of Better Call Saul that is going to happen season six. And to me, the most daunting thing about that is the extreme potential of the death of Kim Wexler, which I think is about 98% certain to happen in season six. And I don't know if I'm mentally ready for that, Mike. I don't know if I'm mentally. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) There's so much stuff to watch, man. And that's, that's one of the, (laughs) one of the things that's been on my list too, man. I, I, like I said, I have to rewatch it because I started, I completed the first season, thought it was great. And then, uh, I, I don't know what happened. I just didn't follow up on it and but i definitely
1: like the show man i need to get back into it you know yeah it's great great stuff i mean other than that i mean i've, I've really just been focused on that but my uh my band one of my bands the last stand kind of kicked it back into gear over the weekend uh we we uh we've been rehearsing and we uh we played a show outdoors in brooklyn new york mike
0: that's awesome man. i'm glad to hear that that's that's great
1: you know. Yeah, um, it was it was yesterday uh, with Madball um, and the Death Bef- uh, band Death Before Dishonor from uh, Boston, Boston hardcore band who we've actually played with before, um, and uh, uh, friends of ours from Long Island, this punk band, the Ice Cold Killers. You know, four band show outside. They were only able to sell about uh, like 120 to like 150 tickets, so it wasn't like you know a madhouse people wearing masks, you know, it was, it was great, man. It was a great feeling. It was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, by the time this airs, people uh, I'm sure will have heard about the really big concert that was, uh, in Manhattan on, uh, Saturday, uh, where they had uh, Madball, Murphy's law, um, blood clot, which was John Joseph's band from the Cro-Mags and, uh, wisdom and chains for Pennsylvania played as well and uh all day today i've just been reading all the articles and everyone's posts on social media all about the show and it's just it's been a rather overwhelming day for me as a someone involved in new york hardcore for the past um you know 33 years mike you know it's been kind of a kind of an interesting day yeah i over the weekend,
0: I saw some stuff about it and I was like, oh, you know, cool. You know, Madball played a show, a couple shows. I know you, I knew you had the show Sunday. Um, uh-huh. And I thought, oh, Tompkins Square Park, which used to be a uh, a spot, like tons of shows happened at Tompkins Square Park back in the day. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. You know, outside, middle of the day, safe, you know, based on. Uh, <laughs> Stuff that I've read by scientists, right. you know, I mean the, the, the CDC is saying that there's a negligible chance of you can, getting sick with, with COVID in outside environment. So I was like, okay, yeah. you know some people still are feeling safe enough to do that, so I'm great. That's your freedom to do that. Some people still want to stay home. That's your freedom mm-hmm. to do that as well to stay home. Um, yeah, I have not been wearing a mask outside. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I don't think that in my opinion, and this is, you know, I'm following what I read from the CDC that uh, it's not likely that you would get sick outside without a mask. So I don't have the uh, harsh reaction that I've been reading. I'm just like, Hey, you know, do your thing. You know, you're, you're taking responsibility for yourself. Now on Mm. this, I want to say real quick, Saturday night, the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, had an event down in uh, in Florida. You know, which uh-huh. is a, a lawless, <laughs> fucking, totally <laughs> like fucking. There's no, I don't think they have laws in Florida anymore. <laughs> uh, inside, fifteen thousand people, right? Live MMA event. And you know they would scan the crowd. I might I might have seen like a handful of people, you know, like a smattering of people wearing masks. Wow, that's that to me is risky. But going to yeah. a hardcore show outside in the sun in the middle of the day, I don't I don't find a, I don't have a problem with that.
1: That's the thing. Um, I think that if you're a person that isn't ready for live music yet and you're not ready to be among big crowds or whatever, that is great. That you, you come when you're ready. You come to the show when you're ready. If you're if you're a fan of Tombs, you're a fan of The Last Stand, and you see if one of us is playing a show outside in the next month or so, but you're not ready to go, that is fine, okay? Yeah. Um, there are people that are ready, and there are people who have been waiting for this you know for 13 months like everybody else and decided to go and enjoy themselves and um over the years uh, black and blue has uh productions have done outdoor shows in the park for the last i want to say four or five years um there was one that was a tribute to rabies from warzone that i had got to be a part of i got to sing a song on stage and it was it was amazing you know and it was, it's always a great time and it great vibe there never any fights there's never any problems at any of these shows and there were no no you know problems with fights uh saturday as well um but this one i think because everyone has well been cooped up for 13 months and no one has seen a show in so long drew the biggest crowd i've ever seen i think at a show a hardcore show in new york ever to be honest um I would say there was about 3,000 people there, uh, if you kind of add it all up. Um, and it was a very positive, fun day. I mean, people were just having a hell of a time. And I saw people I hadn't seen in years. And the majority of the people I saw were wearing masks, or they put them on and took them off. And, you know, they it was their choice, you know? Um and I just feel like it has really been negatively like portrayed and getting really attacked by metal websites who, I don't know, man. I almost feel like they they like to shit on hardcore because it's hardcore sometimes, you know, and it's like a Target or whatever. And um, they have these writers that probably don't even listen to any of the bands and, and certain websites uh, like Metal Sucks and Metal Injection, just – wrote kind of like hit pieces on the show and i thought that that was really fucked up and really unfair and uh metal injection in particular had to edit their article because they had this line in the article which was really not cool that said and untrue mind you because you know i was there that it was the predominantly white show like and it was just really like completely untrue there was every walk of life imaginable at the show every race imaginable at this show. <laughs> they're, and they're if you're both... a Madden fan and murphy's law fan you know that that's not true at all um it's just like some of the things people just get to say and and, and shoot off and the name of just shitting on something it's just i don't know it just really bothers me um you know, and I, uh, you know, we have this podcast and you and I musicians and it's a horror podcast. But of course, we talk about music from time to time. And I just I want people to know the truth of the show. And and the truth is that everybody there had a great time. And everybody was there because they wanted to be there. And it was a really nice, joyous day. Um. And the city gave the production company that permit to have the show. Um, it wasn't an outlaw show, it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It was it was a it was a show that they were well aware of. There was a police present there. The police saw how many people were there. At no point did they shut the show down, at no point did they tell anybody, hey, there's too many people there, you know what I'm saying? Like, um it's just like a lot of in factual things going around incorrect information so i wanted to just say a little something about it you know yeah well, i don't trust any of these fucking guys
0: on these metal websites honestly you know it's like especially metal sucks man
1: like fuck that label, yeah, no. fuck
0: that website and and the, you they know, have
1: like... uh they have an agenda and and i almost feel is their agenda to like not have shows this year is that their agenda no, it's because... like
0: It's like, you know, like when you go to the beach and you get sand in your your fucking bathing suit and it's like you Uh can feel a tiny grain of sand like in your crack of your ass. That's what metal injection, I'm sorry, metal sucks is that. They're that fucking grain of sand that gets stuck in your asshole when you go (laughs) to the beach. Because like the beach is fun, right? You have a great time at the beach. But you have this de- piece of debris that you picked up at the beach that just is just bumming you out, and that's like what metal metal sucks is. The, the metal press, yeah, it's
1: that, like, yeah. do they? Meanwhile, uh, Blabbermouth, in, in Blabbermouth's defense, Blabbermouth just posted a factual article and um, took no. There were no jabs at the show in Blabbermouth's article. There was no theirs wasn't a hit piece. Uh, theirs was one of the last ones I think to see out there. Um, you know, but the metal uh injection and the metal sucks ones were hit pieces, I felt. Yeah, uh, I, I, you
0: know, like I, like I said, I don't trust any of these fucking guys. It's like, I don't, I don't even like they, they're not even real metal fans, you know, in my opinion. It's like,
1: yeah, I mean, metal sucks has a history of attacking bands that like you know, Watain and Mayhem, and you know some of the biggest black metal bands in the scene have always been thrown under the bus by some of these sites. And the good thing about it is that it has had zero effect on the bands, which is great, which means the fans know what's up and know the truth and aren't affected by, you know, these ridiculous websites. I gotta
0: be honest, but I don't think I've even read a single fucking article on either one of those sites. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I like look maybe at the headlines. Cause like I see this shit like on, you know, Instagram
1: I don't. Right, I right. never click
0: on it. I never read. Because to me, I just know it's not something I'm interested in reading, you know, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not into these like smarmy like pieces or like I'll read an interview, you know, with like, uh, you know, Eric Watain or, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, or Attila or something like that, you know, but I, right. I, it's like the thing is, is black metal, black metal, death metal, like extreme music is fucking outsider music, man. It's not. As As is hardcore. Yeah, as Mm -hmm. as is hardcore. Exactly. It's not like. It's like almost like you're admitting that you have fucked up ideas by being into this kind of shit and that you might be Uh a little bit antisocial. You're not. You know, you reject certain things about society. You have like opinions that differ from everyone else. You kind of like are into darker, darker points of view. And it's not, you know, like a fucking beauty contest, man. And that's kind of like how. (laughs) these, these types of sites, they want it to become this like popularity contest, a beauty contest. Like, you know, look how like, you know, socially conscious we are, but it's never been about that, man. Like for me, like I, I like metal cause I, I don't like people, you know, I like metal because I, <laughs> I like negative shit and I have like, I, I fucking started out with a lot of self-hatred in my life, man. And I've mm. turned that around over the course of my lifetime, but like I wasn't, I'm not coming from like a positive place. And that's not why I like extreme music, you know, extreme music is for fucking extreme fucking people, man.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, I grew up in in, in South Brooklyn, Italian, Irish neighborhood filled with guidos. Yeah. And my being drawn to, to hardcore and metal was a reaction to the fact that that, that was not who I was. Those people, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, i hated those people you know yeah. i i was an italian but i was not guido you know what i'm saying i you know i i had blonde hair and blue eyes i, I you know what i'm saying i didn't i wasn't into dance music back then you okay. know um I, I i was not obsessed with saturday night fever 10 years after the fact you know <laughs> it's yeah. like, and, yeah, and and hardcore I think does have a kinship with death and black metal, sure. In that sense, um, and that's why there's so many people that like all all three music, like like people like you and I. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of people total. like that. Um, but again, you know, listeners, sorry for the for the for the horror music derail, uh, horror movie derail. But um, I don't know. I just I was just very upset by a lot of the things I was reading today and aside from the press just also also a lot of people just really kind of shitting on it and just you know um, including people I know and, and people who I you know expect a little a little better out of you know um again, if you are not ready for shows and you're not ready for certain things yet that's fine and I back you. But if you are ready, I back you also. That's what I'm saying, you know? Um, But the the not ready people should not be shitting on the ready people, and the ready people should not be shitting on the not readies, you know? But we live in a very fucked up world, and social media gives every cretin a platform, and it's just, you know, a big hate fest.
0: I back that, man. I back... Exactly what you say, you know, and, and I want to make one clarification too that, like, the fact that I said that I would go to a hardcore show and not and wear a mask does not mean that I'm one of these right wing, like, nut jobs who wants to force themselves mm-hmm. into a fucking Walmart. You know what I mean? That's not, they're two right. different things. You know, they're two different yeah. things. I'm not one of these assholes out there with an American flag wearing no mask at a fucking NASCAR <laughs> convention or whatever. You know, breathing on people. I'm not 300 pounds. I don't have diabetes. I don't fuck no. my family members like all these other right wing <laughs> shitheads out there. So, uh, so yeah, don't get it don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that outside no. in the sun, I want I'm not wearing a mask. You know, unless think... unless someone says, hey man, can you do me a favor and put a mask on? Then I'll comply. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'll do it because I I just want everyone to be happy. That's my take on it.
1: Yeah, I mean look, you know, uh, I'm I'll be 48 this year, you know. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like throw down with people o- over, you know, shows, okay? Yeah, I'm yeah, not totally. really trying to do that. Um however, I do want to see more of them, you know? And I want yeah. to see more outside shows if that's how it has to be. Um, my band is booked to play Tompkins Square Park on May 8th that show is now in jeopardy uh is what I was told
0: today all this press stuff really
1: it, it it's it
0: kind of like oh man dude I wasn't
1: aware of that uh, that show may not happen and it sucked because it's actually a record release show for a New York hardcore compilation which is coming out it's the first New York hardcore compilation in over 20 years uh so you know that kind of sucks. Um, perhaps if if the hammer gets thrown down and the show doesn't happen, uh could either potentially be moved or to Florida. rescheduled elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, move to Florida. <laughs> it's uh, going to happen in Florida, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Florida or Texas. I'll go. Um, but I don't know. I would like to think that the majority of the complaints were people who don't like or listen to hardcore music. But it seems like, sadly, in my Facebook feed, uh, I have quite a few Facebook friends and I see a lot of things. I'm in a lot of groups and no, unfortunately it is quite a few people involved in the scene. We're also extremely upset. So, you know, I think you, you, you add that in with the, the people who perhaps live in Hopkins square who are not down with it. And you get a lot of calls to government officials. And then, you know, my, my show may not happen. I I'll probably know by tomorrow or even the end of the, the night tonight oh, man. that's uh, that was happening. That's yeah.
0: fucked up, man.
1: That's terrible. Yep. But on the upside, my band's name, The Last Stand, has been mentioned everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> because they've been talking about there's also a show, May 8th, that's booked. So, you know, yeah. Um and, and they've mentioned the last Stand and all of it, which is nice. Um <laughs> but you know, <laughs> no such thing as bad press. I don't know. I just, I I want this to be a better summer than last summer. I I want people to be able to do things. I want people to be happy and healthy. And I feel like there is a good potential for more music this summer, uh, certainly more than last year. Um, But I wish that the people who were, quote unquote, you know, afraid to be a part of it weren't so quick to shit on the people who want to be a part of it. You know, there's a lot of that happening. I'm, I'm seeing it today in my Facebook feed and it's just really like, fuck man. Like, you know, you you could just say, well, I'm not ready to go to the show period and move on with the rest of your day. Not I'm not ready to go to the show. I will hope everyone who's at that show goes on a respirator which is yeah, that's some the, up, the most stable of what I've seen today. So
0: yeah, nobody yeah. nobody needs to say shit like that, you know. Exactly. You know, I it's yeah, man. I mean, by the summer there's no reason, especially if as people are getting more, you know, more and more people getting vaccinated and um if you got if you got both shots, man, and 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 shit's looking yeah. okay, fucking go get back to having a a a full life man you know that's the whole point of this shit really you know
1: yeah totally totally and you know we we will see what happens uh we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll keep the listeners uh updated musically updated on what's <laughs> going on in new york city because new york city you know there's, a, there's always something going on around here and i know some of our listeners obviously are, are, are from uh all over the place so and we appreciate and respect all of our listeners and your opinions but um you know mike and i are musicians and uh you know these these things kind of affect us and they affect our our future and and things we want to do and and you know etc
0: i just gotta say also that you know new york hardcore is probably the most diverse hardcore scene in the entire country if not the world really
1: i would agree 100 percent, and like only people who don't know like people who literally don't know that or have never been here or never seen a show uh i mean you know to sprout off some of that stuff is just really fucked up and just completely incorrect you know so yeah anyway ladies and gentlemen <laughs> necromaniac podcast is back with our devil series that's right and (laughs) that's right tonight we will be discussing the rather controversial 1976 film to the devil a daughter the film that sunk camera films michael (laughs) i didn't know about all that stuff Hmm. at at all until i started digging into this uh film you know yeah yeah this was a very troubled production i mean uh truthfully hammer films uh you know l- little quick one-on-one it was this wonderful british film company that had this banger run from i would say about the mid late 50s literally right up until about 1976 around the time of the release of this film with a shit ton of great horror movies uh some of which we have talked about here on the podcast I know we we talked about Curse of the Werewolf, and we definitely referenced uh, a bunch of other Hammer movies. Um, You know, they're not for everybody. Not everybody digs this kind of stuff, but uh, this particular movie kind of is out of that whole Dracula, Frankenstein, werewolf canon. And um, by the time they get this movie out in 76, uh, Hammer Films was nearing bankruptcy leading up to, to the making of this movie. And after this movie, there is no Hammer Horror until 2011, Mike, with The Resident. Damn. You know, um, yeah. I, there are, I wasn't it, aware it of literally, that. Literally. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah, The Resident is the, the Hillary Swank, Jeffrey Dean Morgan film, which I have always wanted to see. It takes place in New York City. I still haven't seen that goddamn movie. Did you
0: see The Resident? I didn't because I didn't. I didn't know it had anything to do with Hammer, you know.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a hammer movie. Yes, it sure is. Yep. Um, But, yeah, uh, To the Devil, a daughter is... Look, man, the cool thing about this movie is, I mean, one of the coolest things is the fucking cast. Because there's a lot of heavy hitters Um, it's Christopher Lee is in it. To me, any movie that Christopher Lee is in is a better film because he is in it. Yes or yes.
0: Yeah, well, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were, were like the big duo in a lot of the Hammer films. Right. You know, Dracula, they, they, Van they Helsing. The mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. were like pretty heavily featured in a lot of the Hammer horror films, especially if they were uh, vampire
1: movies. Exactly. And um, this also, what it had going for it was that it was based on... Uh, the 1953 novel of the same name by Dennis Wheatley. Dennis Wheatley was a extremely popular writer of like horror and occult and fiction in the UK up until literally the late 70s when he passed. Uh, He was like the guy over there. Uh, There was even a time when his books were outselling the 007 books, which were literally some of the Again, some of the biggest, most popular books you could pick up, you know, bigger than like Stephen King, you could say, uh, of his time over in the UK. Uh, Wheatley was a Christian, uh, but he was a very interesting guy. He he was an occult expert, Mike. He was an occult expert. Um, and I've always I, I've, it's a Christian person who's an occult expert, I feel like is good for a really cool book, you know, because they. They've done their work. They've done the studies of both sides of the coin. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, and like the occult doesn't necessarily mean it's anti-Christian because, I mean, there's a lot of like, um, like even if you go really far back in Christianity, there's a lot of like esoteric Christian stuff that is borderline. Well, it's straight up. It's a cult because it's hidden. It's like hidden from the rest of the religion. You know it's it, there's even been people that have said the work of the Jesuits has like an occult mm-hmm. sort of angle to it you know because, oh yeah yeah because they kind of work in this kind of shadowy like offshoot of uh, of the Roman Catholic
1: Church you know mm-hmm um, the devil's daughter is the second in in a, a trilogy of Wheatley Wheatley's black magic trilogy uh, which were uh, The Devil Rides Out, which was made into a a really great Hammer film, which we may cover here on this podcast. That was in 1968. Um, And another called The Satanist, um, which I believe was was never made into a movie. Uh, Mike and I talked about before we we started to record tonight that uh, we want to check out all these Wheatley books now. And we're kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of like, holy shit, how have we never read these books over all these years, you know? But we're totally going to check him out now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I never I never made it to any of his books because he's a, that's a name. I mean, as a fan of this type of stuff, mm-hmm. I've always known the name. I always knew that he was a yeah. British guy. I always knew that he wrote about stuff that I'm interested in. And I've never, ever read anything by him. And um, he's definitely, after watching this movie again for the first time in years, uh i'm gonna i'm gonna try to make an effort into checking out some of his work
1: yeah yeah i even did you know like a preliminary kind of like wikipedia google search and a lot of some of the other books look really cool too outside of the black magic trilogy but i think i'm gonna go for the black magic trilogy first uh devil rides out the satanist and uh to the devil a daughter uh they're all written in the 50s, I believe, and the, the two movies, you know, one movie's made in 68 and To the Devil's Daughter is made in 76. But I was talking about the cast. OK, uh, we have Christopher Lee as Father Michael Rayner. We have Richard Widmark, American actor, as John Burney. We have Natasha Kinsky, uh, who is uh, all of 14 years old during making this film. Uh, as Catherine Bedos. We have Honor Blackman from the Avengers and uh, James Bond films as Anna Fountain, Uh, Michael Goodlife as George DeGras, and none other than Denholm Elliot as Henry Bedos. Denholm Elliot, of course, you all know as the butler, Dan Aykroyd's butler in Trading Places. Probably (laughs) one of my favorite movies. Probably one of my favorite movies of all time honestly probably that's one of my favorite christmas movies it's, it's a great christmas movie and it is one of the rare films uh that covers uh let's see thanksgiving christmas and new year's in the same movie yes it does. <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's right i guess it much like mike wait a minute much like uh one of our top horror films of last year um <laughs> wait oh god Oh man, we're awful for not remembering this. I even made a joke about it. You know the one, the the one with the the, the two kids and they torture the girlfriend. Oh my god, you know what I'm talking about. It all was right, one of our top movies of last year.
0: All right, let, let's take a break and figure out what the fuck this is because it's we we, right, really? we gotta. I know the movie you're talking about.
1: Uh, <laughs> all right, shit, man. It came out in 2020. It was a really downer ending. It was like really violent. And like, they were playing mind games with her and, you know, yada, yada, yada. All right. So they came out in
0: 2020?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was the one that you thought was a 2019-er, but me and Jeff were like, no, it's actually a a very early 2020. Do you remember who did the film? Who did it? Oh, no. I don't, but it had like the the, the cute blonde. Oh, it has uh, Riley Keough. Oh, dude, the, star. the lodge, the lodge.
0: All right, the lodge. All right, yes. so let. All right, so much I put a. Like I put them, the let's, let's let's edit this, okay?
1: Yeah, we will we'll edit. it. All right, so much what, like all right, the go lodge. Ahead. Yes. All right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So tr- trading places with Denholm Elliott as the butler covers Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Much like one of our favorite films of last year, the feel-good hit The Lodge, uh, which covers all three of those holidays as well. Not many movies do that much. Would you
0: say that Riley Keough is a scream queen? (laughs)
1: 100%. She is. But she's a scream queen that is like scream queen plus, because she has... Quite a career in non horror at this point, right? Uh, you know, what I'm saying aside from the horror kind of weirdo dark indie stuff that she has, but yes, I'm gonna say she is technically a screen queen. Yes,
0: she's one of my favorite, uh, you know, like uh, attractive women. I think, Riley Keogh,
1: yeah, she's she's awesome. I love her grandfather, Elvis Presley, which is no secret. Yeah, um, no, she's amazing. Um, And her mom is awesome. So, yeah, the whole family. Love them all. Uh, Back to To the Devil, A Daughter. Uh, It was directed by Peter Sykes, produced by Roy Skeggs, and written by Christian Wicking, John Peacock, and Gerald Vaughn Hughes. Um, This is actually a British-slash-West German production, uh, whereas most of the Hammer films were just kind of a British production this had a bit of a you know they filmed some of it uh i believe in west germany um the film was released with an alternate title uh on vhs child of satan what do you think's a better title i like uh to the devil a daughter yeah me too way way cooler "Child of satan is a little more a little bit of a cheaper title no it's like if there
0: was like an exploitation film out there named child of satan That then that would be more appropriate, I think. Like this movie is a little classier than that, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, Back to Dennis Wheatley. Now, um, when Wheatley was approached about uh, Hammer making uh, yet another one of his books into a film, he was initially kind of stoked on it because he really liked what they did with *The Devil Rides Out*, and *The Devil Rides Out* was a big success. Uh, but that you know that was in 68 this is you know a good good chunk of time has passed here and hammer kind of needs a hit as like i said they were approaching bankruptcy in like 74 apparently um and uh, they say okay so we're going to do to the, you know to the devil's daughter and it's like, great blah blah blah, but he ultimately ended up like disowning the film he called you know he thought it was terrible uh, it bears almost no, very little to no resemblance to the novel. Uh, uh, so basically, we're looking at something somewhat similar to the, the to the O'Bannon scenario, a, a bit similar to the O'Bannon scenario with Dead and Buried, where his name is on it. But in reality, it is, it is not O'Bannon's. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we it was, you know, like he, he died not soon after this movie came out. So, you know, he was pissed at, at the producers, he was pissed at Hammer. Um, and a- another side note about this movie. Uh, Michael Goodlife who was in the film, killed himself r- right after making this movie. <laughs> the guy who played George DeGrasse. Uh So a bit of a black cloud on this one, huh, Mike?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's one of the, it it's it could be considered one of those movies that has like a lot of darkness
1: surrounding it, you know. Oh, totally, totally. Um, rough plot uh, of the film. Do a little rough plot rundown. Yeah. Uh, American expatriate occult writer John Verney, played by the awesome Richard Widmark, is asked by Henry Betzos, the awesome Denholm Elliott, to pick up his daughter Catherine played by Natasha Kinski from the London Heathrow airport. Catherine, as it turns out, is a member of the children of the Lord. this very uh, mysterious, heretical religious order based in Bavaria, you know, the German angle, which was founded by an excommunicated Roman Catholic priest, Michael Renner, who is of course played by the awesome Christopher Lee. Um, I'll give you a spoiler alert. He's not, you know, he's not a nice priest, okay? We're talking about an evil priest here, kids. And they're not, you know, the typical Catholic organization. They're like, you know, it's like an evil religious organization. Well,
0: as soon as you see see Christopher Lee wearing that priest get up, you know know that he's up to
1: no good, man. And honestly, man, whenever I just hear him talk, I'm just, I'm there. You know, like, I'm just, I love the sound of his voice, Christopher Lee, you know? People say that, you know, you know, James Bond was, like, smooth and debonair and whatever. Like, to me, Christopher Lee was as smooth as it comes. You no? Know?
0: 100% man. I, I mean, I mean, I, I've always, I mean, you know, I, I like James Bond, but this this is more of my shit, man. Like, I you know, the Hammer yeah. stuff. Like, I, I'm way more into that. You know that kind of vibe, and I, Christopher Lee, man, like all day, that
1: guy rules. I love him. Yeah, and like, like him and Wicker Man, like the cat, like you could just, just you could just listen to him talk for like four hours. Like honestly, you know, yeah. talk about whatever Christopher Lee, and and I'm gonna listen to it. Um, so Catherine's deceased mother was apparently a part of this uh, nefarious order and had arranged for her daughter to be brought up as, you know, as a member of this order. Um, But, you know, dad knows, I think, all about the nefarious shit that's going on, let's just say. And uh, once Catherine does arrive in London, he insists that stays with Vernon, the occult writer, uh, for the time. It's kind of funny. You know what kind of vibe I picked up on? I felt like, you know, like Stephen King incorporates himself. Like Stephen King is a character in every one of his books. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. Some way, shape, or form. I feel like Richard Widmark might be uh, Wheatley. You know, yeah, I was thinking the same thing too. Yeah. Yes, he is in a he is a, a, an occult expert writer. A good, but a good guy. You know, I feel like that's kind of like Wheatley injecting himself, much like I bet Wheatley is Christopher Lee's character in The Devil Rides Out yeah you know yeah for sure yeah Um, because lee in the devil rides out for those who don't know is one of the few films where he's a good guy
0: (laughs) yeah he never he always he always plays i'm so used to seeing him play the bad guy that like when he shows up in the piece, the priest outfit i'm like yeah these deaf this is something there's a fucked up church here you know Mm.
1: um so yeah uh, you know, Beto's... Uh, Denim Elliot, the dad, wants her to stay with Vernie for the time being, but the, the Order under Renair, Christopher Lee, uh, makes all efforts to get her back and use black magic to stop Vernie. Like, Vernie's trying to protect her. Like, they all kind of know what's up. And the mo- the crux of this movie... The movie is not amazing, people. Okay? I'm just gonna come out and say It's not an amazing movie. It's, it's, it's an interesting fun movie. But um, the crux of the movie is them trying to keep young Natasha Kinski. You know, they, they are using all their powers to kind of keep away from the black magic that the, the cult is using, you know, the Satanists, so to speak, the Satanists who do not look like Satanists. They look like, you know, nuns and priests.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like inconsistencies in the film and mm-hmm. the the thing that like i like about it is there's mm-hmm. a lot of cool imagery in it and there is yeah there's a lot of good vibes like there's a good like atmosphere in the film um you know and and it's not satan it's actually astaroth which um yeah is uh in the geisha it's like i think mm-hmm. astaroth is like the duke of hell or something like that and there's yeah, like the, I think... the three main demons. Like I... mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Astaroth, uh, Lucifer, and Baal, and uh, yeah, and they're they're like the major demons of the the Goetic, uh, the major Goetia. So that's kind of it's not like a Satan thing. It's like a
1: demonic thing. It's kind of cool. Right, and I feel like Astaroth is thrown around on either Altars of Madness or Blessed Are the Sick. I'm not a hundred percent certain. <laughs> yeah. But really certain that that name is mentioned on one of the first two Morbid Angel records. Yep. I could be wrong. Listen, keep me honest. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, they have prepared Catherine to become an avatar for Astaroth upon her 18th birthday. Um, something that, there's an element in the room about this movie, for listeners, uh, especially for the listeners who know the movie and know the history of the movie, is that Natasha Kinski um while making this film, was 14 years old. Uh, I mean, she was a beautiful child, like a model, actress, daughter of the amazing, you know, cult lunatic actor Klaus Kinski. Um, she was 14, and this movie has her in a full frontal nude scene. Uh, so if anyone is is super put off by that, I uh, just want to give you that warning. It is brief. It is brief. And is it is it exploitative? I'm, you could say yes, and you could say no. But it, what are your thoughts on that, Mike?
0: Okay, well, this is a European film, okay, number one. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All this, like, exploitation business is an American thing, okay? That's all this, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know stuff we're going through right now with like uh, people getting victimized and all that is uh, Mm -hmm. Americans feel that. Europeans have a way more liberal idea about nudity and sex than Americans do. Completely.
1: Uh, In the 70s in particular, to have nudity with a younger actor or actress was definitely not a thing quote-unquote or at least not yet um apparently two years prior she's a, uh, uh the, the actress of uh, Hachikinski, at 12 appeared briefly topless in a movie at 12. um now look i've not seen that film uh i found that out in my research in this movie um apparently uh as an adult, later, you know, later on in her life, I mean, she's made a, a bunch of movies. Uh, a movie everybody should check out, of course. Um, what do you call it? Cat uh, people. Yes, cat people. <laughs> um, movie. Uh, a little brain fart there. Um, she has said that she re- wishes that back then she had a bit more parental guidance in her life and just overall people looking out for her back then, because that really wasn't the case. But she doesn't seem like she's, you know, despondent over it because, I mean, it that was how things were, man. Like we've said it time and time again on this fucking podcast. In the 70s, man, (laughs) things were just not what they are now. They're not what they even want to be in the 90s. I mean, I almost feel like by the like up into the mid 80s, film was just so different. And people were just doing, like, more taboo, weird shit that they were just able to get away with up until a certain time, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, with that said, I I didn't realize she was 14 until we talked about it earlier. I thought, I yeah. figured, man, she looks really young. She's got to mm-hmm. be 18, you know, because like, like I was yeah. saying before, like, I know, I know women who are, like, in their late 20s, like 30, that look like they're... 17 years old sometimes you know and uh so i was like oh she's got to be like 18 or 19 and you know and and she's got this scene where she's fully naked and i was like oh yeah she had to have been like 18. but me being like a a roman catholic american guy it makes me feel uncomfortable knowing that she's 14.
1: yes that's why i kind of want to put it out there for the listeners and, and i think you know um it's it's rather brief and it's, it's, you know, it's right before she, it's, it's like an altar kind of scene, whatever. Um, but what's funny is that had I not done that research, right, I would have pegged about maybe 17. Like, she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't look like a 14-year-old, you know. Um, but yeah, man, it's just it's just kind of wild to read these things. I mean, it's you go back to like, you know, when, when you find out about Cannibal Holocaust, Oh yeah, every animal killing was real. You know what I'm saying, or you know, like that. You know, it's like, I mean, there was a lot of horrible shit going on on the set of Sallow apparently with some of the young boys. I mean, look, man. Sometimes history is not fucking pretty, you know, film history. Well, and, that um, goes
0: back to what I was saying earlier about just like outsider shit. I mean, Sallow was like a brutal fucking movie, man, and and it's it's an hmm. ugly film, you know, and it's hard to watch even without knowing all the background stuff too, you know? Right.
1: Um, this, uh, to the devil's daughter is a billion miles from Salo. Yes. I mean, that's 100%. 100%. Yeah. They're not apples and oranges. Definitely. It's still a fucking hammer film. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's the last, uh, it's the last hammer film, you know? I mean, that, that's kind of, a, it's almost more known for that than it is for the, for the two to three second nudity scene, to be completely honest, you know? And it's known for how bad it did, and it's known for being disowned by Wheatley and disowned by the writers, and, and you know what I'm saying? It's kind of funny, you know? But, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the writers of the movie called it an awful mess. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris Wicking. So that that in itself has is, is got to be, you know, kind of, kind of telling. Um, but, yeah, so as I was saying... <laughs> They're trying to protect her from that, uh, trying to protect her from being, an, uh, you know, an avatar of Astaroth on her 18th birthday. Uh, upon learning that Vernie has discovered the secret, um, Rainer, uh, Christopher Lee, kills off all of his friends kind of one by one, you know, including um, Honor Blackman and, uh, you know, Michael Goodlife uh, in the midst of retrieving uh, Catherine from Verney. Um, it's funny honor blackman is is you know she's she's older in this but she still looks like a really like attractive older woman i thought no i was getting like, the same feeling about her too man
0: especially there's like oh, some yeah. scenes where they're talking about you know like like you know sex stuff and i was like yeah i bet she's like uh she's like very sexy. i bet she's into having a <laughs> really good time you know that that was the feeling i got
1: 70s honor blackman is just as cool as 60s honor blackman definitely hell yeah um you know she was so cute like the avengers she was like really pretty and cute and at this point it's 1976 and she has like this blonde hair and she has like the british you know the accent and i'm just like a sucker for the british accent i'm sorry it's just it's i i just yeah something about it you know i'm a, I'm a sucker for the, the the ladies with the british accent but anyway um uh using his knowledge of the occult Verne uh richard Widmark battles the priest and the henchmen in order to rescue catherine um something that definitely has to be brought up is that little demonic baby creature mike that was awesome by the way i thought that was killing. i mean it's really like for for 1976 special effects I have to say I thought that looked pretty good. I mean it looks it made me like uncomfortable to look at. it. Like I don't know, there was something about it, right?
0: Well well that that's one of the other elements of the film and and also the fact that Natasha Kinski's 14. There's a lot of um like sex, motherhood, impregnation, mm-hmm. you know, like planting the seed. You know, there's a lot of this kind of vibe in the in the film. And, uh, you know, there's, like, that scene with the, the Astaroth statue and Natasha Kinski having, like, simulated sex and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a lot of this kind of fertility stuff going on in the movie, which is, um, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that Natasha is, like, very young also is kind of weird.
1: And and something else of note, um, the look of... It, it actually looks better than the average Hammer film. They spent a good chunk of change on this movie, apparently. Uh, uh, 360,000 British pounds of 1976 money. That's a lot of money, actually. Um, Sure. 360K back then, you know, in British pounds, which I believe uh, more... I I don't know. I I forget how that works. But anyway, um, they spent a lot of money on this movie uh, because they needed to be a hit, and it obviously, unfortunately, wasn't a hit. And I will say that the performances by everybody, despite the fact that the, the script isn't very good and the overall structure is a bit wonky, I think everybody is kind of selling in the movie. Like, everybody's, like, committed to their parts. What do you think? Yeah, the acting's great. It's just that,
0: it, it was, like I was said, it's a little disjointed. You know what I mean? Like, like it's some, mm-hmm. some parts are hard to follow, like, what's actually going on. But, um, But, you know, you can piece it together. You just have to work a little bit harder to figure out what the film, what the actual narrative is, you know? Because also there's these, like, dreamlike sequences interjected in there. And, you know, it's like a little trippy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, like, Lee is definitely committed to his role. And he's he's great in it, I thought. I mean, he's not, he's not, I almost feel like he's not in a ton of it, but... Whenever he's in it, like I said, he makes it better, you know, and I thought the music was pretty good and like, you know, photography of it and and this and that. Um, It's just that the overall story is not as good as say the devil rides out. If you want to compare the two and it's just, it's good as a film, you know? Um, And the ending apparently was really rushed and not properly written. And I think that shows. Yeah. Um, shows it you know uh like uh one of the people who worked on the film Michael Chris said the film uh simply did not work the people who made it got about the ending um and uh they said they, they tried to get additional funds for a new ending and they they didn't um, and you kind of get what the ending that you know we all see which is like uh, basically Christopher Lee gets like a rock thrown at him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, like disappears. And you know, there's like a circle. Like it, it has, like I said, it has similarities to the Devil Rides out. There's like the circle, and you know, you're trying to break the circle and this and that. And he he just, you know, Verne, uh, Widmark knock, knocks uh, you know, knocks him out with like a rock, it's unconscious. And he breaks the circle of blood and he saves her and the fucking movie's over.
0: <laughs> very, very, very weak ending. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would I would say that like I said, I watched this movie like a long time ago, and then I watched it again when we talked about doing it. The first like quarter of the film has a lot of promise. You know Yes I mean? it does. Like you're like, oh man, this is gonna be great. It's like we got some nun, you know, she's like there's some weird inverted Christian thing going on here where they're actually demonic, you know, worshipping demons. Sounds great, you know? Mm. But it gets a lot, the the, the narrative is so, is so awkward at times that it kind of fucks up the, the, the whole coolness of the
1: movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, apparently Widmark, as the movie was being made, he realized how troubled this was. He tried to quit it several times. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to quit the fucking movie. Yeah, Verne, the character, tried to quit the movie as it was being made. And apparently he clashed a lot with the director. Um, and uh, certain cast members were cast on very short notice. And of course, the movie was released during the, the cycle of the cult movies, which were popular, which, you know... A lot of these movies were post-Exorcist films, and this is considered a post-Exorcist film, you know? Um, and what's funny is Widmark's role, uh, the role of Verne, the writer, was offered to Klaus Kinsky Kitzke, Natasha Kitzke's oh, wow. father. Yes. Huh. Um, and he, get this, this is hilarious. This was actually mentioned in the little documentary I saw about the movie, and it's also in these the tidbits on IMDb. He turned the movie down Stating that while he had no issue being in a movie with his daughter, naked, <laughs> mind you, his issue was that he doesn't he didn't know if he could remain sober for the duration of the filming. Dude. He was like a lunatic. Fuck he was it. a drug addict and alcoholic. Yeah. And yeah, that was his issue. He was like, imagine that phone call conversation. I can do the film. I just don't know if I'm gonna be sober throughout the whole movie.
0: Klaus. <laughs> Klaus Kinski's a G, man. You know what I mean? Like that, dude. (laughs) They don't make actors like that.
1: I just don't know if I'm going to be sober. Mike, imagine one of the guys in Tombs says, (laughs) all right, I'm going to do the album with you. I just don't know if I'm going to be sober.
0: (laughs) 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 Can you imagine an actor now being being like that? Like, you know, actors, they're so like worried about perception now, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be gonna be able to be sober, you know, for this movie.
1: See, this is why I'm gonna and you can quote me. Actors used to be so much cooler. Oh, you know, yeah, man. I mean, definitely. come on, man. Actors of the sixties, seventies, and even I'll give it eighties were just so much more human beings than Ken dolls and Barbie dolls and robots that we have today. Yeah, I mean, come on.
0: I totally agree. Um, there's a, there's a few uh, standouts, but yeah, for the most part, you know, actors are fucking
1: totally lame these days. There are no. There's definitely some exceptions to the rule. There's some exceptions, but you know, it's it's just night and day. Uh, the, Hammer was able to eke out one more movie. It was not a horror movie. After this, they did The Lady Vanishes in '79, and then, as I said at the top of the uh, podcast. It was not fully resurrected until many years later, 2011, which is really interesting. Um, You know, uh, White Zombie, in an interesting note, Rock Band, White Zombie, continuing our tradition of constantly (laughs) talking about (laughs) Rock Zombie on on this show, not once, but twice on Sex or Sisto, mentioned, uh, well, sample the film uh they steal christopher lee's line it's not heresy and i will not recant in the song supercharger heaven and in the song black sunshine they sample to the devil a daughter comes from the trailer so of course we need to continue our history <laughs> zombie.
0: Yeah. isn't black sunshine <laughs> the one that's got Ee pop on it
1: yeah yeah black sunshine it's, it's from the album that i actually enjoy quite a bit that first uh the first one on the major label on yeah, Get-
0: yeah that one's all right
1: yeah 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 um, the other sample comes from the song Supercharger Heaven that's actually off Astro Creep so they sampled them uh, they sampled the movie on, on each record so yeah um, this movie yeah it, it you know some people said it had like this melodrama aspect to it mixed in with the horror uh, not enough horror to it which i could kind of see um you know, the Washington Post said the film seems to have been scripted, directed, and edited with a remained and negligence. As if the filmmakers had to keep one step ahead of the process servers or the finance company. I will say that's that's kind of accurate. Huh. <laughs> okay. But I'll say this. Um it's worth seeing. It's it's definitely like, you know, it has a- it's, it's cool moments. It's definitely a, a movie that you want to check out if you want to complete your, you know, your your devilish kind of film uh, journey that you may be going on with Mike and I. Um, Mike, what would you give to the Devil Daughter out of a scale of our one to five?
0: I give it a three point five. I mean, I actually like the movie. I, I mm-hmm. acknowledge its shortcomings, but I like it. Mm-hmm. You know. And I give it a
1: 3.5. I am giving it a very solid 3. That it it needs to be seen, and it is worth seeing. And will I revisit it again one day? Yes, perhaps. Um, the rewatchability factor isn't, like, huge, you know? Um, look, I, I think uh, the other movies we've covered, like Race with the Devil, is a stronger film, but definitely. And I think uh, The Devil Rides Out, which we, we may dip our toes in, is definitely the better of the Wheatley films. Um, are there better Hammer films? Oh, absolutely, there are better Hammer films. But it's it's you know it's worth seeing, and it has its kind of cool '70s vibe. And you know you know we're kind of suckers for that here on the podcast, right?
0: I think uh, I I could see us doing more Hammer stuff, man. Maybe we should do like uh, a series of Hammer films too, man. Just like pick some choice cuts, deep
1: cuts. Oh yeah, you know with the You're Hammer
0: right. and the Hammer uh, cannon.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I would love to do that. I would even I would cover like, you know, Dracula nineteen seventy two A D. That's that's like that has that's like its peak seventiesness, even though it's like seventy two seventy three. Sure. It's like dripping with its seventiesness. Uh, I, I would love to cover that. Um, there's just tons of gorgeous women in that movie, and there's like a lot of blood. And it's just just kind of a fun fun movie. Um, and, you know, it's it kind of transports Dracula from ancient times into 1972. So the whole concept of it is pretty pretty awesome. You know.
0: Well, one of the things too <laughs> about Hammer, and and I was a very young boy when I first started watching these movies, probably. My introduction, my first feelings towards women might have been developed through watching Hammer Horror Films. <laughs> I'm serious when I say that. You know what I mean? Hey, man.
1: Um, I mean, look, they loaded the film with g- films, usually with, like, gorgeous women. I mean, I have two words. Caroline Monroe. I mean, come on, man. I mean, she's in several Hammer films. She's in a James Bond movie. She's in Maniac. She just probably, to me, one of the, the best-looking brunette, brown-eyed women ever, Caroline Monroe. Yeah. Amazing. Um, she. They, they were trying to make Vampirella. That would have been interesting, man. They were really trying to make Vampirella. In the '70s, there was a poster for it. There was like a script, apparently, but it never happened. It never happened. It was it was literally around this time they were trying to make it happen in like the mid '70s, um, hmm. because the comic was was and the magazine was doing so well. Um, but rumor has it, uh, it is it is apparently in some form of current pre-production, Ben Pro.
0: I was gonna say. Uh, I, was I don't surprised. know what it's gonna look like. I'm surprised no one has tried to like uh, make that. I feel like today is the wrong, the wrong time to make that movie, though.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, there is a 1996 Vampirella, Mike, I've never seen it. It was a straight video. Really. 1996 film by Jim Wernowski uh, Talisa Soto plays Vampirella. Huh. Uh, I need to seek it out. Yeah, I want to see it. I've never seen it. Heard some pretty bad things from it over the years written by forrest ackerman by the way so yeah we got to seek that out we got to check it out but there is a brand new one uh there's talk of it um i don't think i don't know what stage it's in but uh yeah i read about it on on one of the you know the the bigger hard news sites that it's kind of back on back on some sort of you know some sort of drawing board
0: yeah it's um I don't, yeah I, I i'm uh dubious about what kind of what kind of job they do on it in, in 2021 like i don't know is it's uh i don't know it's the wrong time for this type of
1: stuff you know what I mean? well now i totally want to seek out the 1996 one which i have a funny feeling is probably on youtube um where I'm finding that a lot of like weird oddball stuff is is that is on no like if it's not on a streaming service it's on youtube right
0: no i i mean i i didn't even know the movie existed man i i um i'm thinking about vampirella if they had made it in the
1: 70s how awesome that would be oh my god that would have been amazing if hammer was able to make that happen hammer was also trying to make uh, a jaws kind of movie they they had a lot of plans, and, and everything just kind of shit the bed, um, you know? I think uh, the the British film industry took some kind of big hit uh, somewhat similar to what happened to the Italian film industry in the early 80s, uh, when everything just kind of, like, vanished uh, early, mid-80s. Yeah, some, I, I, they talk about a little bit in, in the extras on the To the Devil, A Daughter, Anchor Bay DVD, which is what I watched. Um, you know, and uh, you know, changing times. I feel like Hammer lived long enough to be relevant and awesome in the time period that it should have been. Because by the time you cut to mid late seventies, the horror landscape is very different, right? I mean, you know, uh, it's it's not. You know, people are have like you're just about to kick off Slasherville, right? Yeah. It's almost there, but it's, you know what I'm saying? I can feel like people's taste from hammer probably brought to mind something a bit antiquated. And they, it was just like, you know, okay, we're done. Um, and uh, another thing during this documentary was like, you know, you, you had like Alien come out in 79 and you have Dawn of the Dead and the Dead movies. Like, you know, people kind of lost the their love for seeing like Christopher Lee as Dracula, but as, as you know, cyclical things are years later, people kind of fell in love with it again. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the, the interest in hammer kind of came back, Right. uh, you know, much like, you know, where certain genre of music might not be hot for a few years. And then all of a sudden at 10, 15 years, people are pining for that kind of music. That's kind of what happened to hammer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but a fun, a fun watch, nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, if you guys want to hear us talk about more Devil stuff or maybe even more Hammer stuff, uh, we will do it. Please let us know on uh, you know Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And uh, thank you for all the continued support. Uh, it looks like you know the listeners are growing and stuff, and uh, it's really you know cool to see all the you know the new people checking us out right mike that's right
0: man and we got i don't know 70 odd episodes old episodes you can listen to they're all up there yeah. and you can find them mm-hmm. on all the spotify apple podcast all that jazz you can go to the site it's all there so check out some of these older episodes uh the show's changed quite a bit, man. Remember when we used to do three movies every episode? <laughs> yes, we would um we'd get together <laughs> like once every two months or something like that and do like like three movies in one sitting, man. It was pretty crazy, um, and it would be like almost like
1: two hours, and you know, it was easily two. It was hours. those, it was those long ago, <laughs> yeah, the long ago days of 20, 2014. and I'll, I'll say this, listeners. There was not a lot of podcasts in 2014. Uh, not a lot of horror podcasts. There really weren't. Um, I believe there was, you know, uh, the last podcast on the left was around back then. Um, and Brian Keene's podcast, I believe, was around back then. Um, but it's funny because I, I wasn't, you know, Mike, you taught me about podcasts. I wasn't really hip to them, you know, uh, until about seven, eight years ago, to be, to be honest. Yeah i mean you know things have drastically changed uh and some for the better some for the worse but uh i'm glad that you know we're able to come at people every week with new content you know and that's been something that I, you know i i'm personally proud of and glad to see that the name has you know has grown and you know the listenership has grown and the visibility and things like that and I'm I'm very happy about that, and you know we've widened net to include people, which helps keep it consistent and weekly, and I think it's great.
0: Yeah, you know, and we're we're going to be doing more cool stuff as the you know, but maybe by the summer, we'll have a Patreon with some extra shit on there, like more long form stuff, like more interviews, access to episodes like early, um, and then there'll be like. I've been doing, you know, on Fridays when I put out these, uh, you know, staff picks, I've been recording these like quick, you know, sometimes they're like 10 minute, 15 minute episodes to go along with those. And, uh, you know, that stuff will be all available mm-hmm. on, on the our Patreon once it goes up.
1: But yeah, good stuff. man. Awesome. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the guest hosts and, you know, the regular hosts like me and Jeff and we just... Keep, keep on moving along. And uh, once Mike and I are both fully vaccinated, we're going to have some in-person jams. And uh, yeah, those will yeah. be fun. Yeah, those, <laughs>
0: there's nothing
1: like that, man. That's the best way to do it, really. You know, Absolutely. But uh, everybody stay happy and healthy out there. And uh, thank you again. And we will see you next time. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you next week. Good night.